This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 1st, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Laws on the books tend to stay on the books until acted upon from an outside force, such as the inertia of the Jones Act, a 100-year-old shipping law that serves basically no purpose aside from protecting domestic shipbuilders at the expense of everyone else. Republican U.S. Senator Mike Lee is hoping to get rid of it. I spoke with Senator Lee and Cato's Colin Grabo last week. I became aware of the Jones Act, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago, uh, when I was visiting with some people who identified the problem, described what it does. I, I believe the first people to raise it with me were with the Grassroots Institute of Hawaii, who were explaining to me that people in Hawaii uh, end up paying an enormous amount of money every year as a result of the Jones Act. Everything they buy becomes more expensive. I think by some estimates, the average Hawaiian family incurs about $1,800 a year in Jones Act compliance-related costs. Uh, This is a a very significant expense, and it's one that disproportionately harms poor and middle-class families in Hawaii and in uh, other coastal regions of the United States, including parts of Alaska, New England, and Puerto Rico. Um, it's one of these things where, where once you learn about it, uh, you, you can go uh, a long time without ever having heard of the Jones Act. Once you hear about it, you start to hear it echoing in a lot of discussions. And I find it troubling, particularly because I can't find a way uh, for the life of me uh, to defend the Jones Act on policy grounds. All right. So, uh, Colin, we have not seen much progress on constraining or eliminating the Jones Act. What does it mean that we now have legislation introduced to to get rid of it? Well, I think, um, as you said, repealing this law is uh, an incredibly difficult task. But I think it's very useful Senator Lee has introduced legislation to do so because if nothing else, it helps raise the issue. As Senator Lee said, you know, he only became aware of this law eight or nine years ago. And I think there's a lot of ignorance, not just among the American public, but I think even within Congress, people aren't fully aware of the law and they aren't fully aware of what it does. And I hope at a minimum, uh, Senator Lee's introduction of this legislation, his support for it can help prompt a conversation about what the law is, what it does, is it serving our national interests? Uh, because I don't think it is. And I think a conversation needs to be had about it. Uh, Senator Lee, there are so many policies that we have that where we cannot perceive the actual practical effects of it. Uh, wage and price controls uh, are uh, two of the, the biggest examples. But with respect to how the Jones Act impacts prices, it would be very difficult for the average person to appreciate the degree to which they are being impacted by this sort of arcane law. No, that's exactly right. It's estimated by many that the Jones Act costs the American economy uh, tens, somewhere in the range of tens of billions of dollars a year. But it's very difficult to identify exactly what the cost is to any particular family, especially if they don't reside in one of the places most acutely affected by it. Uh, So unless they're in Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, parts of New England, or uh, other sort of remote coastal regions of the United States where it can become a problem, they may not be able to quantify. It can be difficult for anyone to quantify exactly what it is that they're costing them. And even if they could quantify it, 
they're almost never going to be made aware of it. So that's what makes it tough. It's also what makes it important for those of us who do understand it to sound the alarm. And it also makes it that much more important for us to tell the stories of uh, communities that are acutely impacted by it so that policymakers can be aware of it and address the problem. All right, Colin, uh, moving forward, what's the half measure for uh, versus a, a clean elimination of the Jones Act? What's the half measure that gets us a good distance toward uh, you know, not feeling the negative effects of this law? Well, the bad news is, is that we are uh, subjected to what uh, has been called by uh, some international groups as the world's most restrictive example of a cabotage law. The good news is there's a fair amount of distance between the status quo and full repeal of this law. There are a lot of options in between. I think if I were to pick one option, I think the most useful thing we could do short of full repeal would be to eliminate the Jones Act's U.S. built requirement. Uh, this is an extremely unusual requirement within global cabotage laws. No other country in the world has the requirement that all vessels used in domestic trade have to be built in that country. But it's not even uh, compatible uh, with our own cabotage laws. For example, we have airline cabotage laws. We have trucking cabotage laws. There is no requirement that our airlines have to buy uh, their planes that are built here in the United States. They can buy uh, from Airbus, for example. Same with trucks. And I think that those industries are better for it. We have a very vibrant airline industry in this country. I think we could have the same when it comes to shipping. But so long as we're forcing... Here's the ironic thing about the Jones Act. It's meant ostensibly to benefit and support the U.S. maritime industry. And we do that by forcing them to pay four to five times the world price for ships they buy. That's not helping anybody. That's that's not good for a shipping industry. Uh, it's not good for the American consumer. It's not good for national security. And I think that that provision urgently needs to be repealed. And if I could chime in there as far as other half measures, I mean, it, it, yeah, obviously I would prefer the full-blown repeal, S-1646, uh, Open America's Waters Act. Uh, the bill I'm running in the Senate would do that. It, the, the House counterpart is uh, uh, being run by Representative McClintock. But short of that, there are a lot of other things that we could do, including S-1640, the Protecting Access to American Products Act, which would say that you, you can you, you would be able to get a Jones Act waiver automatically if you could show that uh, you had tried in good faith to lo locate a Jones Act compliant vessel to carry it um, and that there is no Jones Act compliant vessel to carry the product at issue to the market at issue. People ought to be able to get a waiver anytime that happens. There are waivers that can be granted under the Jones Act. Some of them have been, have been granted even by the Biden administration recently in connection with pipeline failures and things like that, but they're difficult to get. Uh, S1640 would make those waivers mandatory in those circumstances where there really is no legitimate public policy justification for there being a Jones Act uh, requirement in the first place, uh, especially in those circumstances where there is no vessel. This is where we end up uh, with uh, parts of New England having to receive shipments of LNG from Russia or shipments of propane from um, uh, somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, uh, for example, because there is no Jones Act compliant vessel capable of uh, taking US LNG uh, to New England. So th this puts us in a, a horrible position. And S-1640 would help address that. 
who are the biggest defenders of this law in the in the Senate? The biggest single defender of this law is ignorance, is people not being aware of the issue. As far as those who are willing to actively engage on it, uh, people who are connected to the shipping industry, um, uh, to one of the big shipbuilding giants, or a handful of national security um, uh, uh, defenders of the Jones Act who insist that this is um, going to ensure our ongoing stability, our ability to maintain our shipbuilding capacity. All of those arguments are understandable. Uh, uh, you know, it, it is important that we maintain the ability for national security uh, purposes to build ships in America so that uh, we can have access to them. But we know already that it's costing us tens of billions of dollars to do that. We know that it's not working very well as evidenced by the fact that we, when we've had to pull in um, uh, vessels uh, for military use, uh, we haven't had enough vessels that are up to the task of doing that. And we also know that our current method of supplying this need is disproportionately harming poor and middle-class families in certain isolated parts of our country. And so that's why if you want to take care of that issue, then let's handle that as a as a defense appropriation matter. Uh, let's build a handful of ships a year for that very purpose. At least then you can distribute the cost fairly uh, uh, rather than uh, enriching a small handful of very big shipping companies uh, at the expense of poor and middle-class families in a few outlying areas. A related issue, but not an identical issue, is the Passenger Vessel Services Act, which uh, prohibits transportation of passengers between U.S. ports on vessels that uh, are not U.S. flagged vessels. What 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 is that? What difference does that make effectively with respect to uh, passenger tra or travel for Americans? I have a, a special hatred in my heart for the PVSA. The PVSA has all the same problems as the Jones Act, uh, but it's even less defensible than the Jones Act. At least with the Jones Act, you can make some arguments about this doing something uh, uh, for our military readiness uh, or something like that. It doesn't do it very well, and it does so in a, in a way that's really unfair. But with the PVSA, you're, you're, you're just creating um, a program that benefits no one, no one that is, except maybe Canada, Mexico, Kiribati, and a few small island nations out there. The, the practical impact of this is that you can't have um, a, a robust cruise industry in the United States, except insofar, because we, we really don't have uh, uh, as a practical matter, uh, the, there are not Jones Act compliant vessels or PVSA compliant cruise ship vessels in the United States. And as a result, our entire cruise ship industry in America is tied to circumstances where you can take a cruise ship and you go outside the United States before returning back to, you, uh, to a U.S. port. As a result of that, you can't really take a cruise that starts in New York and ends up in Miami or starts in Fort Lauderdale and ends up in New York. 
same thing with on the stops West Coast. along the way with stops, it, with, along, with the stops way. along the way where where people can experience uh, uh, American tourism. There is no good reason not to allow that. But the PVSA requires that we do it this way. As a result, we become held captive by some of these foreign countries who are the only remaining beneficiaries of uh, the Passenger Vessel Services Act. This thing is antiquated. It's barbaric. And it really is enriching countries like Canada, Mexico, and Kiribati, who benefit to a tremendous degree from it. In fact, I, I recently had an interesting Twitter exchange with because uh, I, I had called out the PVSA a couple of months ago on the Senate floor uh, as a result of the fact that Canada has almost single-handedly shut down the Alaskan cruise industry because of the fact that it's not allowing... Um, uh, our, our vessels, after they start a cruise in, say, uh, Seattle, it's not allowing them to stop in Vancouver, British Columbia because of COVID-related issues. As a result of that, it's almost impossible to take uh, an Alaskan cruise right now because of this phenomenon. So I called it out on the Senate floor. Not too long after that, uh, some parliamentarians from the uh, British Columbia uh, a parliament, the equivalent of their state legislature, uh, sent out a tweet saying, oh, we've got to really watch this troublemaker named Mike Lee. He's trying to destroy the PVSA. And so as I had predicted on the Senate floor just a few weeks earlier, the only people lobbying to keep the PVSA uh, for cruise ships are people like Canada. And these guys are scared to death that they're going to lose that benefit because without that, they don't have any guarantee that we would necessarily even want these cruise ships stopping in Vancouver. In any event, we wouldn't have to, and we could at least still operate while they shut us out during COVID. Colin? Yeah, I would just uh, second what, what Senator Lee said. This is a very interesting example we have here in Canada, where American cruise ships uh, that go from uh, Washington State to Alaska, they have to stop in a Canadian port to satisfy the requirements of the PVSA to avoid violating the PVSA. And Senator Lee stepped up with legislation that would effectively eliminate this need to stop in Canada. And who's screaming about this? It's not Americans, it's Canadians, because this is a law that diverts traffic and tourism dollars to their ports. They love this. This is absurd. Uh, and compounding the absurdity is that this is protectionism effectively uh, for an industry that does not exist. We have not built a large cruise ship in this country since 1958. We're not going to do so anytime soon. That's not going to change. The number of large cruise ships in this country, one. There is one. It operates in, in Hawaii, and that cruise ship was actually built in Germany and got special permission to operate uh, under the PVSA after a lobbying campaign in Congress. And my attitude is, I mean, this shows right here. If we got rid of the domestic build requirement for the PVSA, that, you know, that would make it easier to employ Americans and to have American flag cruise ships. But again, this is, this is protectionism that benefits foreigners. It's the only example of protectionism I can think of where foreigners are lobbying for it. It's a completely absurd situation, and it, it's just crying out for some kind of reform. Senator Lee, this, these are two examples of inertia in lawmaking and if you wouldn't mind uh just just for the for the benefit of of our audience what should we think when we think about inertia within lawmaking what does that practically mean with respect we've had these laws on the books for so long 
uh, a law in motion remains in motion unless otherwise acted upon, an object at rest will do the same. Uh, and that certainly applies with regard to legislation. These laws have been around for so long. The PBSA, I think since 1886, uh, uh, the, the Jones Act for uh, a little over a century. Um, and so as a result of that, entire industries have grown up around it. And as a result of that, entire industries have become dependent upon it. I've actually been lobbied not only by um, shipbuilders and shipping, uh, uh, by, by shipbuilders themselves, but by some shipping companies who have actually come to me and said, if you were to repeal the Jones Act, that would be bad. And it would be bad because we've purchased uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of ships. And the value of those ships is inflated by the Jones Act. And if you were to repeal it, this artificial regulatorily imposed value would suddenly shrink. And look, I, I understand the concern. Uh, there are ways of, of dealing with that. Perhaps we could have a phase-in approach that we could consider. I don't love that approach. But I find the argument itself, which suggests that we should just leave the Jones Act and the PBSA in place in perpetuity, simply because people have assumed that the federal government will continue to operate on the basis of these uh, century-plus-old um, uh, policies that no longer make any sense. Uh, I, I find that absurd. Sounds like taxi medallions and residential zoning. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's a that's a great example. They, they are designed to protect market incumbents at that point, or rather than protecting competition, which is exactly the opposite of what should be our industrial policy, our economic policy. Uh, our antitrust laws are supposed to protect competition, not competitors. And this should be no less true here. And so that's why I, I and I, I, I should mention, in addition to my Jones Act legislation, I've also got legislation specific to the PVSA, uh, S-1994, that would re repeal the uh, PVSA altogether, S-1998, um, the Safeguarding American Tourism Act, that would repeal it at least with respect to cruise ships um, uh, containing 800 or more passenger berths. And then S-1992, uh, that would repeal the um, U.S. Uh, built requirement in the PBSA. Mike Lee is a Republican U.S. Senator from Utah. Colin Grabo is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>